0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and life. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of the Spectator. I am delighted to be joined today by Graham Wood, who is a staff writer at The Atlantic and a lecturer in political science at Yale. And we're going to be talking about Joe Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia. Now, Graham, Biden will visit Saudi Arabia next week. There's quite a lot of speculation about the various geopolitical dynamics involved. Biden has said it's not about the oil, but that's almost certainly not entirely true. Is that right?
1: Well, it's always about the oil with Saudi Arabia, but it's about a lot of other things too. And and only some of them are geopolitical. It's also a matter of personal grudges, personal distaste. Uh, The fact that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia seems to have almost gone out of his way to slight Biden, and that Biden has almost gone out of his way to offend the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. So with Saudi Arabia, given that it is an absolute monarchy, there's one guy at the top who's deputized his son and who his son will soon be, be king too. It's always about oil, it's always about geopolitics, and it's always about personal relationships. So all these things are going to converge when Biden shows up.
0: Well, uh, Biden, I believe, said that uh, America, when it was running in 2020, said that America should treat Saudi Arabia as the pariah that they are. It's hard to see how you sort of overcome that in a diplomatic sense.
1: Yeah, once you call someone a pariah, it means they've got a stink on them, and they're not going to get rid of that very easily. I think Biden was thinking back, first of all, to the reputation that Saudi Arabia earned for itself decades ago as a supporter of global jihadism, as a real holdout against the regime of human rights that the kind of neoliberal world order was, was pushing. So I think that's part of it. It's also that. Joe Biden has considered MBS personally a pariah because of the way that he's handled himself, which has been with pretty much just extreme brutality, married to a pro- program of modernization. So there's there's been good stuff that he's done, but it's been very much overshadowed, I think, in Biden's mind by the fact that he's imprisoned people, he's killed people. And of course, he w- was ultimately responsible for the, the murder and dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi in Istanbul.
0: Well, let's talk about the murder of Khashoggi because that was obviously a heinous crime and a horrible thing. However, it sort of it preoccupied the American political class, let's say, as far as certainly Saudi Arabia is concerned. Perhaps to the detriment of of the Democrats and certain Republicans, thinking about the Middle Middle Eastern politics in in a broader way. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that MBS or his his henchmen really understood what the position of Jamal Khashoggi was, that they thought of him as a Saudi insider who was on the outs and who was saying things he shouldn't have been saying overseas. And they didn't consider him as a friend, colleague, source for a lot of American journalists, including me. I mean, this was a guy who was talking to many, many prominent columnists, many prominent people in Washington, D.C. So his murder and the incredibly gruesome and outre manner of the murder shocked people, rightly so. And the fact that it shocked them, itself shocked the Saudis. And the, the fact that years later we're still talking about it is I think a source of great frustration for them because from the Saudis' perspective, there just are objective realities about the American-Saudi relationship that should override any distaste we have for the murder of an individual person. And I think for a lot of activists, anti-Saudi activists and politicians, probably including Biden, that moral issue, the fact that Saudi Arabia seems to have, have done this, indeed should override many of the, those objective realities of the bilateral relationship. So it, it's largely a matter of Biden overcoming that distaste and then going to Saudi Arabia to to turn this back into a normal relationship that's based on mutual shared interests rather than values.
0: Well I think a, a good example of how elite thinking if you like has become uh, warped on Saudi Arabia was that you yourself interviewed MBS and you got a fair amount of flack did you not for um you know not going after him hard on shoggy and uh, saying that he was charming in person which as a fellow journalist i always find it ridiculous when journalists are uh, attacked for interviewing people, and particularly if those people have to be world leaders.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I was attacked for giving the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia a platform, which which, last I checked, he has a platform, it's called Saudi Arabia, it's called Enormous Reserves of Petroleum, and it was very, very important that someone finally get him on the record after two years of his hiding, physically hiding, and then hiding from the media, not talking to anybody, with great effort. I, I. got to interview him. And I actually did push him on Khashoggi. We we talked at quite some length about it. What I think people wanted me to do was, I don't know, stand up and point my finger at him and stamp my feet and call him a murderer. And instead, what I did was I tried to get him to talk about Khashoggi, tried to get him to say how he thinks about Khashoggi. And sure enough, he did all the things that you would hope a head of state in that position would do when interviewed about that, which is say exactly what he thought, which was some frankly, some kind of weird stuff. I mean, he he said, look, I'm responsible for the death of Khashoggi because I'm at the top, not because I personally ordered it. But, you know, the buck stops here. And then he says, but look, you can know that I didn't do this personally because there are so many people I'd kill first. He wouldn't be in the top thousand. And by the way, he wasn't even that important. You know, I never read a column by Khashoggi. So, you know, if I were, say, me, Graham Wood, were taking responsibility for the death and dismemberment of a person... Uh, You probably wouldn't get me to say anything denigrating about that person. I'd probably go out of my way to to show empathy for the the person's death. But MBS, look, one of the things we need to to find out, and what you'd never get if you opposed the very practice of of interviewing despots, is how those people think. And sure enough, he, he doesn't think, shall we say, like a normal person. He thinks like a despot. He thinks like someone who has had a lot of power for his entire life and who nobody will ever say no to. And I think that's very important as we, we figure out how to deal with him going forward.
0: Well, well, let's touch on MBS's charm because to say he's charming is, as, as you as you point out, not to say he's not a sociopath. But it is quite substantial, isn't it? I mean, he has, before the Khashoggi killing, he had sort of wooed world leaders. And it wasn't just the sort of gestures towards uh, liberalization that he had initiated in his country. It was just that people seemed to like him a lot. Uh, Boris Johnson struck up a, quite a close friendship with him. Uh, President Macron seemed to like him. What is it about him, having met him, what is it about him that you liked or, or that you found charming, I should say?
1: I think it's important to notice the low bar that we have for Saudi leaders. And this is not to cast dispersions on previous generations of Saudi leaders, but they have been from a very different cultural, intellectual milieu from MBS and from us. That is that these are people who are you know born in tents, uh, riding camels. That they did not grow up with Netflix. They didn't grow up with Western Western media and culture. MBS's generation did. MBS did. So MBS when when I talk to him about what he does in his free time, he does many of the things that I do in my free time. He watches the same movies. He watches the same shows. He plays the same sports. So. The very fact that Western leaders, Western journalists can talk to him and have that kind of connection is a new thing when, when talking to a, a Saudi ruler. And it's simply a fact that he's a smart guy. You can ask him, and I did ask him about virtually anything that, that relates to, to his work or, or have a conversation with him about world affairs. And he does have intelligent positions. He does intelligent ideas and he can converse in, as I say, a charming way. Now, as you note, being charming is actually one of the attributes of a psychopath. It doesn't mean that every charming person is a psychopath, but it certainly doesn't preclude a charming person from being a psychopath. So I think of him as, you know, is he clinically diagnosable as a psychopath? He definitely has certain characteristics of that and, and that's consistent with but not proven by the interaction that I had with him.
0: And uh, Biden is, uh, when he wants to be, uh, fairly charming too, although perhaps not quite as um, able to engage as he was in his prime. Do you suspect that for all the uh, bluster beforehand, for all the hostilities that have been exchanged, they will actually
1: get on? You know, in person, perhaps they will. I would be more concerned by what happens afterward. I mean, these are people who Biden, MBS, people who have a tendency to speak their mind and maybe to speak their mind more than their advisors would like them to. What MBS fears, I think, and what would preclude certain types of more productive meetings is that Biden will leave the meeting and then very soon afterwards say, I looked this evil man in the eye and told him to shape up. And that's not what MBS is looking for. MBS is not looking for recrimination, moralization. It's it's instead... He's looking for the the rekindling of a a working relationship. So I think when they actually meet, if they have a substantive conversation, there's no reason to believe it would be acrimonious. But what comes next is what everybody's concerned about.
0: One thing uh, MBS will want to talk about, perhaps Biden won't, won't so much with him, is Iran. During the Trump years, I think it's fair to say Saudi Arabia and America got on fairly well because they had uh, shared interests in, in isolating Iran. Do you think he will successfully push Biden in a different direction given the situation with oil and America's urgent need for, for more oil? Will he succeed in pushing Biden into a position he doesn't want to be on, on reviving an Iran nuclear deal?
1: An interesting question. I mean, the, the very fact that Biden has not had much success in reviving a nuclear deal pushes him a bit closer towards Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has been implacably opposed to Iran and has been hoping for security guarantees for itself against Iran, and just generally for the United States to stay on its side as it, as it was clearly during the Trump era. Now, I, I think that probably will not move too far as a result of, of this conversation. But if the United States just has no success, in if the Biden administration I should say has just no success in making the the relationship with with Iran improve the way some people in the administration would like to, then Saudi Arabia is the other option. I mean Saudi Arabia for years has been saying with with some justification that Iran is the malign actor in the region that their primary target is us and we are your ally we've been your ally for decades. And so you have a responsibility for us and to your own interests in making sure that Saudi Arabia stays secure. And what does that mean? It means isolating Iran. It means continuing to take a hard line, just as Trump did. So the Biden administration, I don't know if it's gonna be a second Trump administration by the end, but it's kind of heading in that direction.
0: Well, and of course, Biden is going to Israel before he goes to Saudi Arabia. And in the Trump years, it very much felt as though the US and Israel were working hand in glove and whatever uh, critics of Trump may say, Quite effectively, it should be admitted, uh, if you look at the Abraham Accords, in changing the dynamics of power in the Middle East, do you think Israel will be able to, uh, as you suggest, further push Biden towards uh, a more hostile position on Iran and a more accommodating position towards Saudi Arabia?
1: I think Biden must see the advantages of having the arc of, of alliance between UAE, Saudi Arabia and Israel as a bulwark against Iran. I mean the, the fact that the, the Trump lined up these allies as, as he did was again just objectively an important accomplishment. I, I'm not sure that, the, the, that this trip will do much more than solidify that, but it's already in place and that's not something that I, I think Biden would be wise to uh, to scoff at or, or to or to lose. so I, I imagine it will be in place just as it was before.
0: Do you think that's one of the reasons that Khashoggi Fair took on so much importance? And again, this is not to minimize the horror of the crime, but was that at the time, the power of Saudi oil was seen to be diminishing. You know, the US is now an even more significant oil and gas power than it was. And then, of course, during the pandemic, oil briefly, the price of oil briefly collapsed.
1: You know, I, I think that first and foremost, the death of Khashoggi was a big deal because it was so gruesome, so strange, and so brazen. The second most important reason was not geopolitical so much as a domestic issue, though. I mean, Saudi Arabia under MBS was undergoing so much change. So much of an old guard was being pushed out. And Khashoggi was affiliated with that old guard. He was part of an old system that was losing its, its influence. And so when he was killed this was a great opportunity for all the people who used to be in in that old guard to say that the new one is not trustworthy and to, to point to something real that happened under his watch and and say that's that's it so that i think superseded the issues surrounding price of oil uh, alliances with the united states that issue was a kind of battering ram against the new regime and a very successful one it's you know dominated things for years and You know, in my conversations with MBS, nothing was more frustrating to him than the fact that he had done all of these things that Saudis and Americans had wanted him to do. Lots of modernizing reforms. And yet nobody, including me, wanted to talk about anything other than Khashoggi. So he's like, man, you know, the guy was killed. It was bad. I really wish I hadn't done it. It He said, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But look... Saudi Arabia is changing in all the ways that you wanted it to change, except for a few. And you're distracted by this this one guy. So I, I think that was the the dominating reason why why Khashoggi was such a big deal for so long.
0: Did he have any conspiracy theories as to why the story was being pushed out so hard? I know that the Saudis tried to do a lot of counter-information.
1: Yeah, I mean, Saudi Arabia is a very conspiratorial place, understandably so. I mean, if things are happening in a small diwan, uh, then um, it's very easy to, to believe that, that lots of forces that, that uh, oppose that, that small group are also working in a small secret way. And it's true that the crown prince has a lot of enemies who are well-funded, some of whom are overseas, many of whom are overseas. And he, the crown prince, thinks that there is a alliance of Saudi exiles with, at one point, at least the Qataris and Iranian backing that are conspiring to work against him. And that turns out to be only partially true. There is, it's very easy when you talk to the, to the allies of the Crown Prince to start hearing about this, these shadowy groups that are uh, opposing the Crown Prince's rule and various people who are clearly just activists or just working you know, alone for their own interests are accused of of having allied themselves with terrorists, with the Muslim Brotherhood, with the Qataris. That's the way that that opposition is is painted in Saudi Arabia. And that's not always true.
0: (laughs) Do you think there's any truth to it at all? I mean, Khashoggi does seem to have had some sort of relationship with the Muslim Brotherhood, does he not?
1: Yeah, I mean Khashoggi, he denied that he was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, but he said, look, the Muslim Brotherhood should, should be allowed to, to do its thing. Um, you know, they have freedom of belief and conscience just like anybody else. And Khashoggi was not, as far as we know, in the pay of the Qataris, but certainly was someone who the Qataris elevated. His, his voice was amplified by them. And in general, there, there are geopolitical forces, countries, states that opposed Saudi Arabia, and he was in line with many of their their views. The way the Saudis phrase it, though, is somewhat more dark and malignant than that. They suggest that almost anybody who is working against the crown prince's agenda and is associated with the Ancien Regime is a member of the Muslim Brotherhood who's working covertly as an agent of this shadowy group that, that has, in an almost American red scare kind of way, infiltrated the state and under every rock in every government office there is a muslim brotherhood agent who has to be to be rooted out so in many visits months of traveling around saudi arabia i would talk with government people ordinary saudi citizens and even when i spoke to the religious police these guys who in former times would would go around shopping malls with sticks and hit people when they, when they weren't praying on time even they said, oh, yeah, you know, we, we no longer do that because we have to spend so much time just going through our, our HR department, through our employee roles, and finding out who's secretly a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. So there, there really is a belief that they're everywhere and that that's the, the dark hand that's working against the Crown prince.
0: Well, if MBS and Biden can make any diplomatic strides forward and get over the, the, the tribling matter of the murderous theocracy that MBS rules over. Do you think there is, it is possible that MBS has sort of touted the idea of an almost NATO-style security guarantee between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, do you think that's feasible?
1: No. So far, I, I think that if Saudi Arabia is attacked, then the U.S. will have an interest in making sure that that attack doesn't destroy the kingdom, doesn't change its government and so forth. A NATO-style guarantee, I I think, would probably require some alignment of values as well. And that is just too far off from happening. I mean, you just described Saudi Arabia as a murderous theocracy, which is a half-truth. I mean, MBS's reforms have made it much less theocratic than it once was. So those reforms are making it more like, say, the United States or the U.K. And, you know, that means things like Allowing women to drive, like opening movie theaters, normal stuff that we think of, of as, as as basic freedoms. So, MBS in his values is moving toward the United States, but it's just not close enough yet to have the kind of guarantee of security that, that I think the Saudis ultimately crave. They can get close, and that will be the the alignment of of interests, but the alignment of values is. Actually, it's getting better, but it's it's nowhere near to the point where Saudi could be contemplated as uh, a quasi member of NATO.
0: Fine, Graham. Do you have any plans to interview MBS again, perhaps uh, after this summit?
1: I would love to. I, I'm not sure that he would be interested in, in talking to me. You know, the, the, there are a lot of people who claimed that my piece on MBS, the interview, was too soft, that I didn't push him hard enough. But by the standards of the kingdom. Let's just say I, I, if I were Saudi and I wrote the things that I did, I, I would never be seen again. Even as a foreign journalist to have spoken to him and then come away with some of the conclusions that I had, the skeptical conclusions and personal observations about him, I don't expect that I would be welcomed back. I have actually been told I would not be welcomed back into the corridors of power in Saudi Arabia anytime soon. But I'm truly fascinated by what's going on and you know, what's going to happen this month. And I, I would go back in and, and, and a heartbeat if I had that opportunity. I bet it will have to be years before I'm able to, though.
0: Well, as I'm sure you know, uh, if you manage to annoy all sides, you're probably getting it right.
1: Yes, yes. Anger from all sides and then duck so the circular firing squad can uh, take care of itself.
0: Uh, Graham, thank you very much for coming on to Americano. Uh, I hope you come on again.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of
0: Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review.